Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross, back from a short hiatus brought about by the NCAA basketball tournament. And what a what a tennis tournament we have to go over on this beautiful Monday. The Miami Open champion is Hubie Hercoc, his maiden Masters 1000 title. He met Yannick Sinner, 19 years old, the Italian phenom in the final, and came through it. 7664. Later on in the show, we will also welcome in a very good friend of the program. You must know him well by now. Alex Gruskin of Cracked Rackets, host of the Great Shot Podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast, and the Mini Break Podcast. We'll talk to Gruskin about uh, Sinner and Hercotch and a lot of other fun stuff as well. Really fun tournament. It was very clear early on that there was going to be some fresh faces. An opportunity presented itself for RBA, for Andre Rublev, who both found themselves in the semifinals. Disappointing de- defeats for Daniil Medvedev, for Stefanos Tsitsipas. It was Sinner and Hercoc, the final two at the end. And what an accomplishment for Hercoc. And what a week, what a run for Yannick Sinner, who became the fourth teenager to make the final in Miami, he joins a list that really speaks for itself. Andre Agassi, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, and now Yannick Sinner has reached the Miami Open final. Uh, but Hercoc is ultimately the one who lifts the trophy at the end. And if you look at the the gauntlet that he had to go through, Denis Shapovalov, Milos Raonic, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Andre Rublev... This was no cakewalk. I mean, what a what an unbelievable run of wins that is for Hercoc, who is 24 years old, whose development has been a little bit slower, but also steady. And as a result, he's flown a little bit under the radar, and uh, now he will jump to a career-high 16 in the rankings. Well-deserved. I expect him to be in the top 10 at some point in his career. And uh, this was uh, a really, really good accomplishment. Well-deserved accomplishment. Good to see. Let's talk a little bit about where this came from. It does seem a little bit out of nowhere. It's his second title of the year. The first one was in Delray. And one thing that, you know, is kind of a redemption is sweet for Hercoc is that he did not beat a top 100 player and route to that Delray title. So a lot of people are saying, well, that was, you know, that doesn't mean much, right? But now he goes through that gauntlet, as I said, and it's, uh, it was a bit of a revenge tour, I'd say, but he was four and five in matches since Delray. That includes a, a first round, a first round loss to Emer in the Australian Open. But four and five, four wins, five losses since that title in Delray did not come into this tournament in in much form and pulls off this improbable, unexpected title run. Man, um, I want to point something out here about the Miami Open. And I will, of course, get into this final against Sinner and some of the keys to the match and what Hercoc did so well. And uh, ultimately, I can tell you right now, I thought that his mentality was really smart. His match feel was on full display. And um, there were some uh, some tactical t- 
uh, keys. Believe me, I will get into those. But first of all, I just want to point out that the one common denominator is Florida. The two tournaments in Florida are the ones that Hubie Hercotch has won. And I've always noticed that the Miami Open, it always feels like a, a home match for these Florida guys. And that doesn't mean they're from Florida. Hercotch is Polish. Congratulations to all his fans and all my viewers from Poland, if I didn't say that. Um, but so are guys like Denis Shapovalov, Canadian, Felix Ojealiasim, Canadian, Andy Murray, British. And then there's some Americans. Andre Agassi um, is someone who trained in Florida. These Florida guys, they love Florida. They love playing in Florida. Who was the other surprise this week? Sebastian Corda. Sebastian Corda, big run to the quarterfinals, really uh, was impressive last week. Trains in Florida. Shapovalov, FAA, Miami has been home to their best Masters results. They're both se they are both semi-finalists at this event. They train in, in Miami. Andy Murray, great success here. A couple of titles. Andre Agassi, one of his best Masters events. These players are really good in Florida. Uh, a couple things that are unusual. A couple explanations for this is one, the wind, which played a big factor all week. How good are you in wind? How used to you? Uh, or or how, how much are you used to wind? If you train in Florida, you know how to play in wind. And then the second thing is humidity. And that's what really bothered me. I am from New York. And I went and I played a, a tournament in, in Florida once. And I just struggled with my breathing. I felt like my cardio was 25-30% worse because of the humidity. So you're used to the humidity, you're used to the wind. Those are bothersome things when you're playing tennis. Those are things that get in your head. And that's why I think Florida is a great place to train. Congratulations to uh, to Craig Boynton and, and his team in Tampa Bay, Florida. That is where Hercotch trains. And they've been together for a little while now. So Hercotch, undefeated in Florida. I just want to point out it's a, it's a home match for him. And boy, has he been incredible at home, uh, undefeated with titles in Delray and Miami. So I think that the fact that um, the wind was gusting on this Sunday afternoon was good for Hercotch and played into his game plan. Here's a here's a match where neither player are they're they're not used to this stage. This is a Masters 1000 final, both of their first times in, in that position. So you're going to have a lot of nerves. And on top of that, you're going to have a lot of wind. So it wouldn't be a surprise if the tennis wasn't pretty early on. And Hercotch in this first set, the best thing he did was keep the ball in the court. Nerves, wind. What was Hercotch? Little passive. Little passive. He hit... Five winners in the entire set to 13 unforced errors. It was a little scratchy, but nothing compared to how scratchy Yannick Sinner was, who came out with much more aggression, playing lower margins, taking bigger cuts at the ball, and Yannick Sinner made 28 unforced errors in the first set. Again, Hercotch, a little defensive, a little tame, 
but it worked and he stuck with it. He had confidence in it. And her coach is about six foot six and moves really, really well and is comfortable in the corners and playing defense. He has an excellent open stance backhand. He's so good at defending his backhand corner. He's so comfortable absorbing pace. Sinner hits absolute bombs. We know that. The power, the way the ball explodes off his racket is very, very unique. But Hercotch is comfortable in the back of the court just absorbing those body blows and waiting for those errors. And he got them. 28 unforced errors for Yannick Sinner in the first set. The game plan made sense for Hercotch. Nerves Wind, let's keep the ball in the court and let's roll the dice here and force Sinner to come up with something in these positions. There was also a lot of clutch serving by Hercotch. He was the decidedly better server. He used the off-pace slice serve on the deuce side as a get-out-of-jail card on a key 30 all point in the first set, also on a key deuce point in the first set. Ultimately, Every single stat in this match suggests that the Hubie Hercotch serve advantage over Yannick Sinner played a very, very key role. So Hercotch, all the offense was really coming from the serve. He was not going after his forehand. He was just merely trading the backhand. Uh, but the offense was coming from directly from his serve. And a lot of players have made a career out of that. Now, I think Hercotch has more than that. And I think he showed more than that in the second set. But in this first set, really, it was um, it was a case of on, my, on the return games, let's just make Sinner come up with something. Let's kind of D up here. And on the service games, I'll use the offense that comes from my serve. But I want to point out uh, some, some match-wide stats just to illustrate the massive serving advantage that Hercotch had in this match. Um, first of all, on the Sinner side, Sinner won 55% of his first serve points, 48% of his second serve points. That's only a 7% difference between first serve and second serve one for Sinner. That's a horrible look for Sinner's first serve. You should have a way wider gap than that. That What that says is that Hercotch is pretty much getting into neutral rallies off of most of your first serve points. And that's what happened in this match. Compare it to Hercotch. Hercotch won 69% of his first serve points and only 35% of his second serve points. Sinner was doing a great job using his power to hit punishing second serve returns. But Hercotch used that big first serve that often averages in the mid-120s. And he places it very well as well. And it took him a little while in his career to really build up that weapon. But his first serve is now a weapon. And you can see that is more like it. Now you'd like him to protect his second serve better. Or he'd like him, him to do that. Uh, but the first serve, you know, that, that's the kind of gap you should see. A little bit. A little bit less. Uh, too big a gap. But uh, you should see a gap. If your first serve is effective, 
you should be winning a much higher percent of, of points than, than you are in your second serve. And you can see that Sinner wasn't doing that. And then you look at zero through four shot rallies, where the serve is most heavily influenced in rally zero through four. And Hercotch with a decided 37 to 25 advantage. In a scratchy first set where neither player was really playing their best tennis, the serve mattered a lot. And Hercotch ultimately keeping the ball in the court was essential. I talked about that brilliant open stance backhand defense that Hercotch possesses. This is a key moment in the first set tiebreak where Hercotch hits a down the line backhand, um, sliding out wide to that side and gets it really low, makes Sinner hit a half volley. That's what gives him the edge in the tiebreak, and he rolls in this first set breaker. But I think Hercotch really shows off a tremendous match feel after this first set is over. Because I got the sense after the first set that Hubie did great to win it. He he was the far more consistent player. He used his serve well, as I said, but he still needs to be better. He needs to he needs to take a little bit more risk with the forehand. He needs to keep the ball out of the middle of the court a little bit better. Force the you know take the initiative a little more because at some point Sinner is not going to make as many unforced errors. And Sinner's going to start to find a groove. And after the, the first set, Sinner took a bathroom break, came back, and I think he he realized, okay, let me make my opponent do something here. I, I can't just throw this match away and not force Hercotch to really do anything great and spray the ball all around the court. Let me make sure I keep the ball in the court and as soon as Hercotch sensed that Sinner's rally aggression was going down, he absolutely pounced. Love all in the second set. Hercotch takes two cuts at, at, at forehands, bigger, more confident, more aggressive, and riskier cuts than he had taken all match long. He hits the two best forehands of the match. Love all in the second set. As soon as Hercotch gets a lead, it frees him up mentally. And we know that that is not always the case. We know that sometimes a player gets a lead, especially a slight underdog as Hercotch was coming into this match. A player gets a lead and now they get a little bit tense. But we saw the opposite with Hercotch. Kudos to him on how he played right out of the gates in the second set. And he started coming forward as well. So he's hitting the forehand a lot bigger. He's coming forward. And suddenly he builds himself this healthy lead in the second set. It was essential because you knew that closing out your first Masters 1000, you're going to have some nerves. But Hercotch goes up two breaks. Again, very key. Two breaks gives himself that cushion. Sinner gets one of those breaks back but did not play a good enough return game. A clutch return game may have evened the match at 5-all, but Sinner hit some errors at this 5-4 at this, uh, return game. Uh, but the cushion is key, and Hercotch wins the second set and the match 6-4. So to summarize from the perspective of Hubie Hercotch, it starts with mindset and strategy. 
knowing that or not trying to do too much was the correct play here given all the circumstances. So defensive mindset, but then the skills to pay the bills, the tools to execute, the pace absorption, the defense off of both wings, the ability to keep the ball in the court. And then um, the domination of the serve return dynamic. Finally, early in the second set, great mentality, taking the initiative, playing the best tennis of the match in a key moment, building yourself the cushion, and ultimately he uh, finds the finish line. So to me, a really nice performance by Hercotch. It wasn't some flawless masterpiece. It's not going to be. You know, this is a position that neither of these players have ever been in. Uh, but he uh, he showed his age. He showed his experience. He is 24. Sinner's 19. And you could see that experience gap. Yannick will have a lot more chances. But this is a huge breakthrough for Hubie Hercotch. Let me focus on the Italian a little bit more. Because he was erratic in this match. He was pretty all over the place. He made a lot of unforced errors. So the question is, how can Yannick Sinner become more consistent? And I think you have to start. This is where I think he'll get more consistent. I think he's going to improve. The consistency is going to come from improved footwork. I want to look at set point here. On this cross-court backhand by Hercotch, Sinner just basically takes one giant step to the ball. Now, this is on the heels of a very long rally. So fatigue is now a factor, and we're getting some tired feet. But sometimes Sinner's footwork can be a little bit imprecise. On this particular forehand, you see that he doesn't create quite enough space between the ball and his body. And he catches it late because he doesn't quite set up behind the ball exactly like he would want to. I think that there was just a couple of little adjustment steps missing here. And you can't make broad claims from one shot like I'm doing here, but but I'm illustrating that this would be one example of Sinner's footwork being just a little off, and that's where you're going to see most of his errors come from. So I think that if you're going to look to Sinner's consistency, and he'll never be someone who is just going to be a ball machine and never miss. That's not his game. He's too aggressive. But it's not about becoming an uber-consistent player. It's about becoming a more consistent player. And in order for Sinner to do that, I believe he needs to improve his footwork. Beefing up the first serve would be the second technical flaw that was kind of glaring in this match, and that will continue to be something that Sinner needs to work on. But I also want to pose a question. I don't know that I, I wouldn't feel confident in saying that Sinner got away from the, the correct mentality in this match. But I will say he did have a different mentality in this match than he did in the semifinal versus Roberto Bautista Agu. Because in the semifinal against RBA, what Sinner did was taken really big, aggressive cuts. And similar to the first set against Hercotch... He was really controlling the match on his terms. Every point tended to be on Yannick Sinner's strings. He was hitting a lot bigger, a lot heavier than RBA, pushing him around for the most part. And ultimately, most of the match was decided by whether or not Sinner was going to hit an unforced error or if he was going to hit a winner or force an error or 
ultimately uh, reap the benefits of keeping the ball in the court. But basically, there, there's a huge power and a aggressiveness gap between him and his opponent. And in the first set, Sinner made tons of errors against RBA. And even in the beginning of the second set, he continued to spray the ball quite wildly. But he kept going for it. And I think oftentimes Sinner has a great understanding that shooters got to shoot. That's a basketball term that basically implies that if you're a jump shooter and you get into a slump, the only way to get out of the slump is to keep shooting. You're never going to fix your jump shot. You're never going to break out of your slump if you stop doing what you do best. And what Yannick Sinner does best is rip the darn cover off the ball. And he does so with a, a fair bit of margin. At least he can do so with a fair bit of margin. And that's what makes him such an effective player. But ultimately, he is an extremely aggressive baseliner. And when he's at his best, he's punishing you with his brutal, powerful ground strokes. Against RBA, he never got away from that. And he made a ton of errors in the first set. Then he made... Mm, a lot of errors, but not a terrible amount in the second set. And then he played a very clean third set as he just found his groove and just, he got hot, right? In this match, I felt like he got away from himself a little bit in the second set. He actually made so many errors in the first set that he got discouraged. And instead of sticking with his really imposing baseline style, he kind of got discouraged uh, with himself and made a decision to keep the ball in the court more at the expense of his aggressiveness. So again, I'm not comfortable saying that Sinner did the wrong thing. I just want to point out that there was a bit of a difference in how Sinner internalized and handled making the plethora of errors that he did in the respective first sets in his in his matches against RBA and Hubie Hercotch. It was a bit of a departure from what I found honestly so impressive about Sinner's semifinal win. He did not really repeat that against Hercotch, instead electing to change course. Okay, it is now time for the DB4 Stat of the Week. For more tennis history, visit db4tennis.com. That is db4tennis.com. Today's Stat of the Week is about Russian dominance. Certainly a theme on tour here in 2021, and we saw the makings of it as early as 2020. I feel like Aslan Karatsev kind of joining the party this year. Uh, but... We also want to include players like Alexander Zverev and Denis Shapovalov, who are not of Russian citizenship, but of Russian nationality. Both of their parents are both Russian, and they speak the language fluently. So, the Russians have always had a, a rich tennis history, and it's interesting the two Russian players who have won a major have gone on to become multiple Grand Slam champions, and they're both Hall of Famers. Yevgeny Kofelnikov and Marit Safin. Russian players have not had success in winning Wimbledon. Safin advanced only once to the semifinal in 2008. And basically, it'll be interesting to see if Daniil Medvedev, Andrei Rublev, or Aslan Karatsev can kind of break that Wimbledon seal that the Russians have not been able to burst. In both Kafelnikov and Safin's 
inaugural Grand Slams, they both went through Pete Sampras, an interesting fun fact. Uh, but, but here's kind of the crux of it. Between 1995 and 2017, Russian players won a total of eight Masters titles. Since 2018, they have taken the same number of trophies home. Two in 2018, three in 2020, three in 2021. Last year, three of seven 500 tournaments were won by Rublev. This year, all three 500 titles are divided between Rublev, Karatsev, and Zverev. So certainly, the Russian takeover is very, very real and very legit. And we are joined now by Alex Gruskin of Cracked Rackets. I rattled off all of his uh, numerous podcasts at the top of the show. And he's also the, the voice of Illinois tennis, I might add. Uh, but Alex, thanks for joining us. Uh, it is always a pleasure. Great to have you back from the basketball world. To be considered the voice of anything is probably a stretch. I think my parents would argue I'm not even the voice of myself. They would say they speak for me more than I speak for me, which is fair. Uh, but I would just like to point out your DB4 stat would also apply to Redhead specifically. If you just went like Rublev Sinner, probably mm. equals out to the Russians. So just wanted to point that out, but always a pleasure to see you. How are you doing, my friend? Uh, I'm good. Yeah, the, the redheads are hot right now. Jim Courier might have something to say. <laughs> I'm going to throw that out there. Yeah, no, he's, wait, red. Learned, he's red, I, not blonde, right? Uh, no, that's definitely a red. Absolutely. I think he's red. I think and, he's red. and someone was telling me, I think it was Ben Rothenberg, I'll steal the joke, that Zverev is actually more Russian than any of the Russian players right now. So if you throw him in the mix, the stack gets even crazier. Well, he's in the mix, actually. We did throw him in the mix. <laughs> oh, beautiful. I didn't see it yet. Yeah, see, yeah. Uh, great minds think alike. Yes, the, the, DB, the DB4 tennis crew is, is always on it. All right. <laughs> Uh, Hubie Hercotch, you, you've always been a fan. I want to know after after two title runs in 2021 in, in Delray and now significantly more impressive one in Miami, how has your thinking about his potential changed or not changed? I would say it has not changed in that this is indicative of a level I think we've seen him play before. And the stat I kept turning to this week in the various previews and podcasts that I did was for Hoopy Hercats coming into the week. He was 9-19 and against top 20 opponents in total and had gone three sets in eight of his last 11 matches against those same set top 20 opponents. Now you throw in his results this week, and I'm going to include that Sinner match into the mix. I mean, he beats Rayanich uh, in three sets, and he beats Tsitsipas in three sets. Those are two iterations of similar players, right? Big servers, they want to attack. If you can play first strike tennis, have a big serve to disrupt your rhythm, you can beat them. That was so interesting to see him play because he's your definition of a modern uh, physical profile. Six foot six, fluid, can move around the court, has the big serve, big weapons, comfortable moving forward. What was so impressive was the degree of physicality he imposed, particularly against both Rublev and Sinner. And it was a very similar game plan, right? It was boys 12s-esque. And his look, I'm painting the backhand corner. I'm targeting the ad side. That is my game plan today. That's what I'm going to do. The difference being between him and your standards boys, 12 player, A, he's six foot six, so it comes in a little bit harder. <laughs> B, 
his willingness to go down the line and move forward and be the aggressor. And he has good hands at the net. And then again, he's six foot freaking six. That wingspan can cover everything. He's got a little imagination. I, I would argue he was down a set and two of to Tsitsipas in the quarterfinals. Deuce point. He hits this little flick backhand slice cross-court pass on the run. That was perhaps the shot that flipped the tournament for him, mm-hmm. kept him alive, got his momentum going. He was always capable of playing this level of tennis. The biggest shock this week is he did it, what, four times in a row or six times in a row to win the tournament. We hadn't seen him do that yet. But I guess to an- if this answers your question, I always thought this was in him. I don't know. What, what did you think? Was, did you see something new from him? I feel like we'd seen flashes, just never this sustained a level. Yeah, I, I had him pegged, and to a certain extent, I still do. I, I had him pegged as like a 20s, top 20 for, for sure. I mean, that was very clear uh, early on. But uh, I, do, I do have him kind of capped at a certain ceiling that's probably – a little bit outside your top five. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if I were to project things now, which is, it's kind of early on, but he's 24, uh, maybe a, a Burdick like career, which is an amazing career and you make millions of dollars and it's like, <laughs> it, it's, it's tremendous, right? You don't want to kind of, uh, make it sound like it's, uh, lesser, lesser than it is. Uh, but, but he, he's not grouped in a lot of the players that have the, the wind in their sails when it comes to hype and, and the younger generation, the players who have that expectation on them where when they lose matches, people go, Oh, you know, what's going on with the next gen? They, they, uh, when are they going to break through? Like her has never shouldered that kind of expectation. This is a result that just kind of thrusts him uh, much more into that conversation with those players. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because there have been 70 total Masters 1000 champions, and if people were wondering what were my eyes doing during that answer, it was looking up this stat. Um, There have been 70 Masters champions. 35 of them have won more than one title, so that's half. You know, half of Mm -hmm. Masters champions go on to win another one. The question is, is he a guy who can do that? In the immediate future, it's tough to say because has he had the level of clay success that makes you think – He's a guy who's going to go out there and win like a, in a Hamburg event or a Barcelona or Madrid or something Nadal doesn't play. You know, no, probably not. All of his ATP finals have come on hard courts. He's made a couple of clay challenges. All in the United States as well. Exactly. And so it, 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 it's fair to say that, you know, again, we need to see him prove it on the clay, which is such a big portion of the year. But you look at his game style it's going to fit on grass like a hand in a glove, right? He's a guy Mm -hmm. who's comfortable moving. He's a guy comfortable moving forward. He's a guy comfortable playing first strike tennis. He's got the slices to get creative. His returns, I mean, his backhand returns as beautiful as it gets. It's not quite as flashy as Sebastian Corda's, right? We saw a lot of good backhands this week in Mm -hmm. Miami, but it's just so effective. He absorbs everything. He's great at changing direction and just like, you know, he's going to be good on grass. I would say, you know, I like to do tears at crack rackets. I, and we can get to the Yannick. Tears are great. I love tears. Yeah. Well, you know, the fun type too, like when Syracuse and Michigan lost, we both were sharing (laughs) tears in Indianapolis, but in terms of these tears, is he in I call it the top five, the Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Sinner, FAA category. Oh, excuse me, top six. Rublev's got to be in there as well. No, he's not part of that group. 
is he even quite Shapovalov quarter tier where you see that firepower and you're just like, if that's hot, that's going to work. Maybe I'd throw a Pelk in there too. No, not mm-hmm. quite. But it's like a Chorich, Hatchinov thing where you're like, if this guy's healthy, he's just going to be really good for a really long time because do you see any glaring flaws? Like, I would say no. And again, it's it's a sustaining thing. He's a guy who plays to the level of his opponent. Against the really good opponents, it looks really good. Against the less good opponents, not as good. He can get a little passive for me. Uh, sometimes he's just not doing much out there. And he's a good mover and a really good defender, as we've outlined. The backhand is so versatile. He puts returns in the court. But I think, you know, sometimes the firepower, which he does possess, just doesn't come out as naturally. Like, he's a great volleyer, and sometimes I think you go a whole match and he's never at the net. Yeah. No, it. I think it's something he's incorporated into his game more and more. And, you know, again, you look for him. Uh, I, when I say he's a guy who plays to the level of his opponents, I think part of that is indicative of he's a guy who's got a lot of tools in the toolbox, right? He's got a lot of mm-hmm. ingredients on the counter. I'm just throwing in as many metaphors as possible <laughs> as, in, as if to say he could do a lot of things. But what is the best version of Hubie Hercats this week? It was making matches physical. It was protecting that serve. It was discipline playing to the ad side of the court against four opponents in a row. Ranich, Tsitsipas, Rublev, Sinner. That's what you're going to do. But it was also keeping them honest and staying aggressive and not becoming, to use your word, passive. And that's the hoobie that's got to be channeled moving forward because you look at the physical profile and the skill set, it would work on every surface. Now we just have to see it work. What was missing for Sinner today? Legs a little bit towards the end, which like Mm -hmm. you can understand. He's a 19-year-old kid. There's nothing less in the world you would want to do than play three sets against Roberto Bautista Agut on a hot Miami day. And thankfully, he wasn't like a little hungover. He doesn't go out the night before to like live or any of the clubs downtown. Um, I should give a shout out to 11 because they host not the club 11, but the owners of 11 hosts mm-hmm. in Miami shout out 11. Anyways, I'm not a club promoter, um, but like, can I say nothing? Is it all right that I say just who outplayed him on sure. this given day that who kept him honest and that his legs gave out a little bit, but that overall Yannick Sinner is now in my opinion, my third favorite guy of this generation uh, behind Zverev and Medvedev that like, it, it, uh, is it, is it fair? I got to interrupt you. Is it, is it fair to even put him in that generation? I mean, he's got, he's just younger. I mean, Medvedev, especially, I mean, what is center going to look like? Medvedev is uh 23. Yeah. I, I'm going to put them in the tail end of that. They're like the, the outer bounds. They're Q1, Q3. I feel like you must've taken the stats 250 class recently. No. It's like, again, oh. no, I <laughs> avoid is, math at all costs. Yeah. You're in broadcasting. And by the way, I need to be interrupted. <laughs> so never apologize. But like, again, what are the outer bounds of the next generation? The 96s, Medvedev, Hatchinov, Zero's a little younger, he's 97, but those guys are the start of the next gen generation. I'm going to throw Sinner in there because he's had success before the big three have retired, but this is the outer bounds. It's like, if you come after the big three retired, that's the next, next gen. Mm-hmm. He's the last uh, like slice. And when I look at him, Gil, it's just like, it, it, it's similar to Rublev in that he's, you know, he's swinging as hard as humanly possible. You know, he's putting everything he's got into every ball. What I didn't expect 
is how good of a mover he is. Like quietly, he's gotten really fluid in the past six months, Gil. Yeah, uh, that was kind of the the next step for him because he was always good from the middle of the court. But if you, if you put him in the corner, you put him on the run. I I just don't think his legs were strong enough to really be successful in that, in those kinds of positions. But I think that's, that's been the main focus. And now he needs to kind of shift his attention to some other things like uh, beefing up the first serve, which was really a non-factor in this match. I mean, he he won 55% of his first serve points which is basically what he did on second serve, which tells you you're not doing enough on the first. This has been um, another big tournament without the big three, which we're, we're beginning to get a little bit more used to. But I noticed it was a little bit similar to the U.S. Open in the respect that it's real mental out there. I feel like when there are no big three, it just gets very, very mental. Rublev admitted it after the semifinal, he couldn't really handle himself there. He became the mega favorite all of a sudden and did not handle it very well. Tsitsipas also admittedly mentally imploded. Uh, I don't know if that had anything to do with the big three, but it happened. And then Medvedev also went down a set and kind of had a bit of a panic himself. Her was tremendous all week. in terms of dealing with his nerves. But but this is what I'm observing. I want your thoughts on just how mental things are when the big three are not in the mix. Well, that's another thing to love about the Sin Man, right? He's got ice in his mm-hmm. veins. And it's just, you know, to your point on the second serves, you're absolutely right. And that manifested itself on Hercats' first serve points. He's 34, 49, 69% versus 7 of 20 for 35% on second serve points. When Sinner could play first strike, uh, yeah, he was having a ton of success, but his legs kind of faded as the match went on. And again, that's a testament to Hubi, who just... I think physically had it all figured out this week. And I, when we talk about the mental component, I think that's the biggest thing that everyone except perhaps Medvedev. And I hate giving him credit for anything at this point, but you have to say Zverev because just physically he is an animal at this point. And, you know, yeah, he lost that match to Rusevori round one, but whatever we've seen him at the slams, these past six slams lock him in. He's going to hold seed. They're the only two guys I've seen play a really physical match the day before and then bounce back and find themselves another victory the next day and scrap Mm -hmm. and claw and do it once. And the thing is at the majors, you usually have to do it three times or, you know, two or at minimum two to get to that title. And in particular for these young guys, they're going to have to do it once against a Djokovic, a Nadal and that they couldn't do it in Miami that for Medvedev, Physically, he was just cooked, right, in that match against RBA, and that was because against Tiafo he was pushed, and against mm-hmm. uh, uh, Popperin he was pushed early in the event as well. And like, and and, and RBA is is a nightmare when it comes to just how physical the, the court was slow as well, so it was yeah. gonna be a it was gonna be physical. But for me, that's the piece of it, or at least for the elite of the elite, like Shapovalov mentally, that's a whole nother can of worms. Mm-hmm. But like, I think for those top guys. I think the mental is tied to the physical. It's like, all right, you know what? I'm a little bit down physically. It's okay if I lose today. And I know that's very, that's, it's not fair to say that because for Rublev, that loss to Hercats, it wasn't a physical thing. It it was a little bit of a mental block, but I think it all ties together because to your DB4 stat, like how can you win everything else 
and then just not show up at the big event. Like, I, I just don't get it. Like, what am I missing here, Gil? Yeah, I think Rublev, just to use him as a case study, yeah. he comes out here in 20 mile per hour wins and has all this expectation clearly on himself because every time he misses uh, a forehand in the first game of the match and you could see he's furious and it's like, calm down, settle down. Now, that's really easy to say and really hard to do. My point is that he wasn't himself. He was he was holding this burden of expectation on himself that he was going to play this amazing match immediately got extremely frustrated when he wasn't perfect. That, that's kind of what I saw for him. No, it's, it's fair. Like everything you point out is fair. My counter to play a little defense for these guys is like sure. men's tennis is really freaking hard. Like I, I hate to say it, but a big serve, a big forehand, that's the point. And it's like, there were times when it's add out and Sinner had played this incredible deuce point. He withstood her cats. He was more patient. He was like, all right, past my backhand. But eventually you're going to slice one. I'm going to run around it. My inside and forehand is hard enough that I don't care if you know it's coming. I'm going to hit it for a winner. And then it would just be like ace down the tee, big serve out wide, big forehand to the open court, mm -hmm. unreturnable serve. That's the game. Like the problem is your the mental component is Federer, Djokovic, Nadal spoiled us where it was like they would, you know, her cats could be playing his best tennis and they would still find a way. These guys aren't able to find a way. I don't know if that's just they're not that good. And like it's OK to not be as good as the three greatest players in men's tennis history. But you're right. Like it's impossible to deny the fact all of the cards were open for them. And who be her cats is the one who came home with the title. Well, the, the big three spoiling point is just, it's, it's undeniable because this is normal. Like this is the, this is the sport of tennis and, and why we love it because it is just. Yeah, no, 2017 to 2019 WTA results. Go look them up. Yeah. That's what the ATP is doing right now. Yes, exactly. Uh, when you are not in a role where you, I mean, to, to have the confidence to close out big matches under pressure on a consistent basis it's such a hard place to get to. And none of these guys are, are there yet. I do. I love sinner mentally and let's wrap it up with this. I love sinner mentally. I think it really helps him that he has a really amazing simplicity in his game, right? There's not a lot of decisions to, to be made there. I mean, he's, he's going cross court. He's using his power as you know, his advantage. He's really, you know, he doesn't need to mix it up that much, at least for now. And it's resulting in just this very level-headed cyborg-like uh, game. And I think that he's got a good head on his shoulders. And I do expect him, I think you'd agree, to get back in this position we saw him in soon again. So, and I will promise I try to keep this brief. Tennis abstract, they do ELO ratings. It measures who you play, not when and where. By ELO ratings, Yannick Sinner has been a top 10 player over the past six months. Mm -hmm. By actual rankings, he's like number 24, like number 20 or something around there. I don't know what it is after he made the He's final. jumping, though. Jumping yeah, in he's top 20, I think. But, like, if I tell you he's – like, if I ask you, is he more top 10 or is he more top 20 over the past six months, I would say top 10. 
Mm-hmm. Like, and, and that's the scary thing. And, you know, you use the word robotic. I, I would say it's robotic in the fact that he can repeat it every time. I don't know if it, I have a combination of fear, adrenaline, like I think a little pee leaks out. Anytime Yannick Sinner gets stretched to the outer third of the court on the forehand side, I'm like, oh, what's he doing next? Because like he, it's funny, he, there's a little smirk on his face after he does it where he's like, oh, you, you think you can beat me in a cross court forehand rally? That's cute. Like watch this. And he just hits a winner and you're just like, oh my God, this guy is nuts. And like his backhand, it's funny because you can see his wrists yank across his body and you're like, he's going cross court. But then the ball just explodes cross court. I love his game. I like really wish I had hopped on the bandwagon in 2019 when he ripped through the Lexington Challenger. Like I'm sad it took me this long, but I, I he's a stud. Like Hubie won the event. That's why we opened with 10 minutes on Hubie. Mm-hmm. But you watch Yannick Sinner, and I'm just in awe. I know we're going to have you on our Crack Rackets podcast, Monday Match Analysis listeners. So when we'll do the full deep dive, I just have to sneak in this question. What do you think about Corda, if you don't mind me asking? And then I'll, oh, sure. I swear, I'll, I, and then I'll get off the bandwagon. But I, I watch <laughs> Corda, and like I'm this excited about Sinner, and I'm, I want to hear your thoughts on him too. But I also watch Corda now, who by ELO rating is going to be a top 20 guy, by actual ranking is like number 64. Like to me, that's another one. He is more top 20 than top 64 right now. Mm-hmm. And he's only 20 years old and he's got the physical profile and I might be in love, Gil. <laughs> I, I was thinking about asking you about quarter, just didn't get there, but Hey, I mean, uh, this is perfect. <laughs> Great minds again. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, I, I was, this was the tournament that kind of sold me. Like my only nitpick is both times I've been really excited to, for a quarter match. He got hurt. Um, so, so that's the only thing, two big matches this year. So hopefully that's just a total coincidence, but the backhand is world-class. And I haven't said that about an American since Marty fish and the, the returning really just the ball striking all around the forehand is a weapon. Like it has to be, um, you know, I, I think the, the service technique looks beautiful. I'm waiting for that to become to materialize into a bigger weapon. If it does, it's just the total offensive package. And uh, yeah, I think American tennis fans should be pumped about quarter because uh, I do expect him to surpass what the previous generation has accomplished. He's Tomas Burdich, but with Shakira's mm-hmm. hips and they don't lie. And it's <laughs> really, really nice. But no, I, I would agree with everything you said. And talk about a mental game. I mean, the, the way, oh my God. I mean, he's Rock. just a pro. How is he a pro at, at his age? I mean, it's uh, it's very it's fun to watch. Someone who has sisters. You're just like, oh yeah, that guy had sisters. You can just like everything about his presence. He's so buttoned up. You're like, oh yeah, yes. that guy had sisters. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't know, but, and yeah, professional. Me Look at me. Come yeah, <laughs> professional. I'm wearing a wristband still from like a night ago. What are you doing, man? Uh, <laughs> pro- professional uh, tennis players as or player as parents, uh, I think is I'm forgetting his mother, I want to say, was a professional athlete. Do, do you have his, the bio on his mother? I believe it's both. Right. Both are professional. Both. Athletes. Yeah, I think I, I don't just I just don't remember what sport his mother. Yeah, I'm blanking as well, but I, okay. I always say both. And if not, she has <laughs> three athletes for children. She is an athlete at this point. <laughs> I love it. All right. Uh, you can find Alex Gruskin stuff at 
crackedrackets.com, Great Shot Pod, Mini Break Pod, Cracked Interviews, Illinois Tennis. Am I missing anything? I've got some things in the work. Uh, hopefully, again, home and home, we're getting you on our Crack Rackets podcast. Hopefully, all of you Monday Match Analysis listeners will enjoy that. I promise I'll give Gil more chance to speak on that occasion. <laughs> but no, as always, you know what I'm going to say. Uh, tell Jenna I say hello. It is always a pleasure to get to do this. And thank you, as always, my friend. She'll she'll appreciate the shout on on Monday Match Analysis. All right, I thank Alex for joining me. As always, you guys know the deal. Monday Match Analysis is available on all podcast platforms. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts if you want me to love you forever. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Gil underscore gross. That'll do it for this week's show. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next time.